Well, greetings to all our brethren around the world, and welcome to our guests here today. We have 140 in present today. One of the greatest challenges we face today in today's world is to maintain a positive attitude, particularly in the face of trials and the stresses we all face. Can we maintain our faith when things go wrong in the world and even when things go wrong in our lives? Perhaps when our finances seem strained, when natural disasters occur, when we lose a loved one to death, or when we feel moody or depressed? Can we maintain a positive and tranquil mind? Millions experience discouragement and other forms of mental health challenges, The National Institute of Mental Health reported that an estimated 22.1% of Americans ages 18 and older, about one in five, suffer from diagnosable mental disorders in a given year. That's 44 million adults. So how can we overcome mental and emotional ill health? One of the most important ways is to become converted. I think you all know 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7, that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let's turn to Philippians, the fourth chapter, Philippians 4. God gives us a strategy to cope with depression, stresses, and anxieties. And we've emphasized this scripture many times, and I hope it's a part of your life and a way of your Christian walk, a way of your thinking, The way of your prayer. Philippians 4 and verse 6. The Apostle Paul tells us to do something that seems almost impossible. Philippians 4 verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. NIV, I believe, says don't worry about anything. Can Can you do that? Can you be anxious for nothing? Well, he tells us how we can achieve that. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So the key is to ask with thanksgiving, because in a sense, you're expressing faith that God is going to answer your prayer. If you're saying, well, please help me to solve this problem or grant me a positive attitude, when you don't have a positive attitude and you thank God, you're expressing faith that God is going to answer your prayer. And it isn't easy. We're all human, and we know that it is not easy to be anxious for nothing. We worry about things. We're stressed about many different problems and challenges. But when we ask God with thanksgiving, we have a better chance for a peace of mind. And then, of course, we have to take the action that gives us in verse 8, but the benefits are made here in verse 7. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Excuse me. So here's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Then we have action to take place in verse 8. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, pure, lovely, a good report, there be any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So how, what are you thinking about? We've heard exhortations even recently in recent sermons on 
what we think about, what do we meditate on, what do we spend our time doing and seeing and thinking. Verse 9, the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Yes, follow the leaders as they follow Christ. And what will be the benefit? And the God of peace will be with you. Again, how responsive are we to God's way of life? And are we striving to maintain a positive attitude? If you're experiencing anxieties and worries, if you're sharing those concerns with God, then you can have peace of mind. I don't know how often it is, but I know at least once or twice or several times a week, I tell myself, even in driving over here today in the traffic, you know, maintain a positive and tranquil mind. Years ago, Dr. Meredith wrote an article titled The Seven Laws of Radiant Health. It appeared in the January 1972 Tomorrow's World magazine. Yes, we had a Tomorrow's World magazine back in 1972, and we have one in 2008. These laws are well known to all of us, but at least they should be, but let me list them. Uh, we need a fundamental awareness of them, and if we want to survive stress, we need to consistently practice them. You don't need to write them down, but uh, just look it up in your 1972 Tomorrow's World magazine. <clears throat> Number one is eat a proper diet. Uh, we're living in a fast food society. Learn to exercise regularly and, when possible, vigorously. I was just pleased the last couple evenings at the YMCA to find the swimming pool basically uh, deserted, so... I had opportunity to swim my laps. Three, get the proper amount of sleep and rest. Just wonderful rest this morning. I enjoyed. I hope you did too. Four, ensure that you are getting enough sunshine and fresh air. Some places have polluted air. Beijing was trying to solve that problem for the athletes. Five, practice cleanliness and wear proper clothing so that you're not constricting your body and your organs. Six, avoid bodily injury. Uh, that is one we tell one another quite frequently. We have accidents, but avoid bodily injury. And number seven, maintain a positive attitude. So the Apostle Paul, as we've seen, exhorts us to maintain a positive attitude, and he did even in prison. He wrote this epistle to the Philippians while he was in prison. In fact, the first chapter, he twice refers to his prison chains. And in eight verses, he tells us to rejoice ten times. So do we respond to that? Can we respond to that? Let's look at verse 4. <clears throat> rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Well, it's difficult to rejoice, but he gives us the key. Rejoice in the Lord. That used to be, as I understand it, uh, Mr. Partian, was that uh, Mrs. Mer Mrs. Armstrong's favorite verse? I know uh, as I heard that, that uh, Loma Armstrong, so one of her favorite verses was Philippians 4.4. 4, Rejoice in the Lord. Well, you might say, things have been going wrong for me recently. I don't have much in which to rejoice. Well, first of all, we need to analyze if things are going wrong. Why are they going wrong? Is there something I've done wrong? I have my little lesson book, and I still write down uh, 
my lessons uh, to make sure that I don't, sorry about the uh, microphone, so that I don't repeat the same mistakes. Okay, last one was 0809, lock the car door. Okay, I must not be locking my car door. I'm glad I reminded myself, thank you. <clears throat> but we have to remember, we learn, uh, learn from our mistakes. The world still hasn't learned from its mistakes, and it still is suffering from the 6,000 years of man's way of going his own way. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the cause of my, state, my mistake? What can I do differently to avoid the same mistake? What lessons can I learn from the mistakes of others? Am I determined not to repeat the same mistake over and over again? So the Sabbath is a clear time or a time to clear our heads. Let's turn back to Psalm 51. We can focus on the Sabbath and God's purpose for us. And perhaps you've already found something I hope to rejoice in this morning. Perhaps you read the Bible and God refreshed your spirit from what you read in the Bible. We've read this before. Remember ancient King David's prayer in Psalm 51. We'll just read starting in verse 10. Very heartfelt. He was repentant. This is his psalm of repentance. Create in me a clean heart, O God. God is the creator. And he's creating in us his perfect, righteous, holy character. And it's a painful process at times. But we have to cooperate with God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me, verse 12, the joy of your salvation. David was convicted of having transgressed the seventh commandment. He committed adultery. And he, through the uh, analogy that was given to him by the prophet Nathan, actually condemned himself to death. He said, who is that man? You know, he needs to be put to death. And he was talking about himself, and he didn't know it, but he was certainly convicted. He said, then, after you restore to me the joy of salvation and uphold me with your generous spirit, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. We're all called to turn others to righteousness. And in the millennium, we will be converting people. We will teach transgressors God's ways. And we have the opportunity of even doing that in this time today. So I hope you've prayed that prayer and you've underlined verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. He certainly wasn't joyous when he was convicted of the death penalty. He convicted himself. Nathan said so. But he said, God has put away your sin because he knew his attitude was one of repentance. Today's sermon is actually the third in a series. The first sermon in the series was titled, Are You Saved? Uh, the second in the series was titled, The Joy of Salvation. And this final sermon in the series is titled, Reasons to Rejoice. First of all, let's turn to Ecclesiastes, just ahead a couple of books. <clears throat> Why we need to express joy and realize that there is a time to express joy and there's a time to mourn, to be sad. This is a beautiful section beginning here in Ecclesiastes 3. Everything has its time is the subtitle. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck what is planted, 
a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh. So there is a time to be sad, and it's appropriate that we have mature emotions and we can have compassion and and express sympathy to others who may be suffering. A time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. We all need wisdom and maturity to properly express our emotions. That's another sermon I hope to give later. But we all need to express the fruits of God's Holy Spirit. Joy is one of the fruits of God's Spirit. So in today's sermon, we'll briefly discuss 12 reasons to to rejoice. And I'm sure you'll rejoice if I can get through all 12 reasons. I've already covered eight of them in a previous sermon, uh, which we'll briefly review. So we'll spend a little more time on the final four. And then we'll explore five ways to express our joy. In fact, I'm full of joy now because I have half an hour extra time given the situation earlier. Well, I will try to keep it within limits. We all feel discouraged at times. And if you are feeling depressed... And if you're allowing negative thoughts to dominate your mind, you need reasons to rejoice. I asked my wife at dinner last evening, I said, now, what are your reasons to rejoice? She doesn't hesitate at all. She immediately said, to be called is one reason to to rejoice. To be forgiven is another reason to rejoice. And to be your wife. And I, oh, and she went on with a couple others, and I can't remember the couple others she went on, but, oh, I have been in tears since. I'll tell you, thank you, hon. I appreciate that much. But I'm going to give you 12. What reasons do you have to rejoice? Number one, we covered this before, but uh, by way of review, number one is to rejoice in our freedom from sin need to turn to Romans, the sixth chapter, Romans 6. Yes, we can rejoice in the forgiveness that God gives us. He gives us grace, unmerited pardon, that forgiveness. Romans, the sixth chapter, and we'll start in verse uh, uh, 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey? whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now, we have been slaves to sin, and some of you may still be slaves to sin. In other words, you are practicing sin. And I hope no one here is... Uh, slaves to sin, but you may have an addiction, whether it's an addiction to to drugs or to alcohol or to smoking or some other, or television or some other kind of video games. You may have an addiction and you're a slave to that. You know you cannot break away from it unless you have fasted for a couple days and you know that you can break away from whatever addiction you have or transgressing sin or habit that you have. But God, be thanked that you were the slaves of sin. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're free. 
And you look up the liberty, he tells us in Galatians, that you have liberty in Christ. Not liberty to transgress the law, but liberty from practicing sin. We all sin from time to time. But uh, if you are a slave to sin, you need to counsel. You need to fast and repent and pray and ask God for forgiveness that you can overcome. But God has delivered us from the slavery of practicing sin. I won't turn there, but uh, Romans, uh, well, let me just turn over the page here. It's Romans 8. Let's look at it. Romans 8.21. The Apostle Paul was talking about uh, because of the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So we are going to give the world liberty. And Christ, you know, on that uh, one time in Nazareth, in Luke, the fourth chapter on the Sabbath, read from the book of Isaiah. And uh, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. I was a captive. I was a slave to sin. At one time, I am not a slave to sin any longer. And I rejoice in that liberty. I rejoice in that freedom. He goes on to say, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And this work, brethren, is doing that. We are preaching the gospel, and many are being turned to righteousness. They're seeing the way that they can escape their slavery to sin. And you and I have a part in that, and it's a glorious mission that God has given us to free others who are captives to sin. So we rejoice, number one, in our liberty and freedom from practicing sin. We rejoice in our calling and in our forgiveness. Number two is delight yourself in the Lord. In what should we rejoice? Turn to Psalm 37. We rejoice in the Lord himself. Psalm 37 and verse 4. Again, one of those great, wonderful promises in the Bible. Delight yourself also in the Lord, the Eternal, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, God promises He'll provide our every need in Philippians 4.19, but He also says He will give us the desires of our heart. Now, again, those desires have to be biblical and not uh, sinful. Then verse uh, 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. <clears throat> verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. So delight yourself in the Lord. What are your desires? What are your lawful desires? Have you asked God to have those desires fulfill, fulfilled? Do you rejoice in Him? Do you delight in Him? I've told you the story about going to Jerusalem and <clears throat> praying, claiming this promise in 37.4, Psalm 37.4. And finally, after 17 years, God allowed me to fulfill that desire in going to Jerusalem. And so we just persevere in patience, and God will answer when it's best for you. Not only when, but how he will fulfill your desire. So number two is delight yourself in the Lord. Number three is delight to do God's will. <clears throat> Just turn over the page here to Psalm 40 and verse 7. 
Number three is delight to do God's will. Psalm 40, verse 7, is actually a messianic prophecy and because Christ himself later said, paraphrased this very verse, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. So many times we are frustrated, and uh, I don't think uh, any of you get frustrated, or do you? If you do get frustrated, how do you cope with that frustration? You know, frustration in one sense is not achieving a goal. You, you're wanting to do something, and you can't accomplish it. As I told you before, I might have a list of calling seven people. I call the first one. It's busy. I call the second one. Voicemail. Call the third one. Uh, get a wrong number. The fifth one. The number's not in session. And I'm getting frustrated. And I say, well, Father, don't you want me to talk to these people? You don't want me to call any of these people? Well, your will be done, not mine. You want me to do something else. There must be something more important rather than this. Sometimes God guides us in circumstances. And uh, it's that uh, you cannot, uh, was the immovable force, uh, no, the, uh, in, the uh, powerful force against the immovable object, something like that, uh, where there's a conflict and you can't solve the problem. But once you surrender to God's will, say, look, okay, I can't call these seven people. Your will be done. I'll look for something else to do. There's a peace of mind. The frustration goes away. Often you are setting a goal for something that uh, is not within God's will, and you're frustrated. But surrender to God's will. I delight to do your will. Rejoice in God's will. And your law is within my heart. That's the new covenant. God is writing his laws on our hearts and on our minds. Remember, Jesus said, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's Luke 22, verse 42. And you know what the prayer is that you pray most every day. In the outline prayer in Matthew 6 and verse 10, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So number three is delight to do God's will. Number four is to rejoice in the truth. I gave a series of sermons on treasuring the truth, rejoicing the truth, walking in the truth, speaking the truth. But do you know, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that we can rejoice in the truth. When we realize that if 65,000 people in the world know the truth, out of 6.5 billion people, how many is that by ratio? How exclusive are you? How privileged are you? One out of 100,000 people know the truth, if that were the case. 65,000 out of six and a half billion. One out of 100,000 people. You know, some, of, some of us feel, oh, well, I'm not anyone. I'm not special. Well, yes, we should humble ourselves. But you are special if God has called you. One out of 100,000 people know the truth. Here in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, he tells us to rejoice in the truth. <clears throat> Verse 6. Charity does not rejoice in iniquity. Love does not rejoice in lawlessness, but rejoices in the truth. Just think of all the myths and the religious deceptions that just cover the whole world, all of the various religions, including professing Christianity. 
the myth of people burning in an ever-burning hellfire, this immortal soul, your relatives, are they're burning, they're tortured now, they're, they're in agony. And I've been in uh, funeral ceremonies where the people have just been crying in agony. I've told you the story about uh, one individual <clears throat> that was uh, our church member, and his sister uh, thought he was burning in hell, and her the brother-in-law, the sister's husband, got me before the funeral service and grabbed me by the shoulder and said, I want you to preach that Charlie's burning in hell. And I said, I'll preach the truth. And But there she was, just, just uh, close to these individuals. She was that far away from me. She would just cry, oh, Charlie, Charlie, thinking that he was, it was being tortured. And I would start yelling, uh, raising my voice, and you could quiet down a little, and then she would. But people are deceived. You are privileged to be free of those deceptions and those myths. You have an opportunity to rejoice in the truth. It says in Psalm 119.77, Your law is my delight. In Romans 7, verse 22, the Apostle Paul says, I delight in the law of God. Number four is rejoice in the truth. Let's turn to Isaiah 58. Number five is rejoice in the Sabbath. Do you call the Sabbath a delight? Or as our former association wanted to position it, as a great burden. Now they were free from this burden. No, they were free from righteousness and became slaves of sin. But we are given the gift of God's Sabbath. Verse 13 of Isaiah 58, If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath from doing your pleasure on my holy day, that doesn't mean you don't have pleasure. You have pleasure in rest. You have pleasure in eating food. You have pleasure in fellowship. But he's talking about secular kind of pleasures that do not hold up with the, the purpose of the day. And call the Sabbath a delight. Yes, you rejoice in the Sabbath. The holy day of the eternal honorable, and shall honor him not doing your own ways, nor finding your own, own pleasures, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. We already had that as um, number two, I think it was, of our reasons to rejoice. So we rejoice in the Sabbath. How do you rejoice in the Sabbath? I rejoice in uh, crashing and uh, sleeping on the couch sometimes. Rejoice in a good meal. Rejoice in prayer and Bible study and even preparing this sermon I rejoiced part, partly. And uh, it was work in preparing the sermon. Mr. Meredith works hard in preparing his sermons. I think we all do messages. But we enjoy God's creation. And I'll look out the back window, and there's this beautiful one little flower there in the edge of the woods. I look out the, the back, back of the uh, house, and uh, the three cats, every once in a while, just look at them. And, you know, Callie is uh, very warm and friendly. She'll, I'm sitting there at the computer in my, my shorts, and she'll rub up against my leg. And then there's uh, Mama Kitty, and and she comes jumping on the bed, and you know, before we get up. And then there's Tiger. He's he's really aggressive and playful, uh, but he likes to be petted as well. And he'll run around the house chasing bugs and this type of thing. But you rejoice in God's creation on the Sabbath. You sing psalms and hymns. You study new Bible topics. 
Uh, you read Tomorrow's World magazine or booklets. You do good works. You may write an email of thanksgiving. You phone a friend. And you pray prayers of intercession for those who need healing and need God's intervention. And you pray with thanksgiving. So number five is rejoice in the Sabbath. Isaiah, the 11th chapter, gives us another reason to rejoice. And you might say, well, this, this is a little different. And how do you rejoice in the fear of the Lord? Uh, Isaiah, the 11th chapter, and verse 2. Number six, reasons to rejoice is delight in the fear of the Lord. You know someone who did? Jesus Christ did. Isaiah 11, verse 2. This is a prophecy about him. The spirit of the eternal shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Yes, the fear of the Lord, the reverence of God, was on Christ as the Messiah. Notice the next verse. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. How can you delight in the fear of the Lord? Well, it tells us, for example, in uh, Proverbs uh, 14.26, uh, the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. Because once you have the reverence and the awe of God, then you can be happy. You don't have hang-ups anymore. You can have that happiness as it says in Proverbs 14:26, and his children will have a place of refuge. Proverbs 19:23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. Are you satisfied? No, those are the, all the advertisements of whatever it's uh, soft drinks or whatever, uh, Pepsi satisfies or whatever. Well, in the fear of the Lord is great satisfaction. He goes on. That's Proverbs 19.23. Uh, he will not be visited with evil. Proverbs 22.4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. So follow Christ's example here in Isaiah 11, verse 3. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. Rejoice in the fear of the Lord. Rejoice in knowing the awesome love and power of your Father in heaven and your Savior, Jesus Christ. Number seven, if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, is rejoice in one another's progress. Rejoice in one another's progress. There are those who have selfish ambition, and they are unable to sympathize or connect with brethren. But if we are humble members of the body, then we will rejoice when another member is blessed or honored. 1 Corinthians 12 and let's start here with uh, verse 23. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpres unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. 
And I think we do this to a certain degree here in the the local congregation, and I hope our brethren around the world have that same kind of care and compassion for those who are suffering in other parts of the world. Verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 12, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. We sympathize. We can have compassion on them because we have suffered as well. I know one lady years ago was suffering from cancer, and she said, Mr. Ames, you don't know what it's like. You don't know what I'm going through with this pain and the suffering. Well, no, I didn't know from that particular cause of suffering, but yes, I have experienced extreme pain and suffering, and I can sympathize. Maybe it was not from cancer, but from other causes. And so we do suffer with others. We can sympathize with others. Or if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. And if we are humble members of the body of Christ, then we can rejoice in another's progress. We can rejoice for our brethren, our brothers and sisters in Christ, when they are honored, particularly when an ordination takes place, a baby is born, or the baptism takes place, or there's a wedding, uh, someone is honored uh, graduating from high school or college. Uh, you know, we honor them, and we rejoice in them. I think I've told you before how Grandma Meredith just always bragged on her grandchildren. She would always say, well, Jimmy got all A's this semester, and, you know, and, and uh, Liz got uh, all B's. No, <laughs> no, I think Liz got all A's, too. Um, couldn't, couldn't resist that one. But we rejoice in one another's progress. And uh, 1 Corinthians 12. So number seven. Number eight, rejoice in the achievements and successes God gives you. Ecclesiastes 3. Back again to Ecclesiastes 3. Sometimes we feel guilty. Uh, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be pleased with this article I've written, or I shouldn't be pleased with this, uh, this building I've built, or this uh, new dish I've baked or whatever. But no, God wants you to be pleased with achievement. He wants you to be a success. He wants you to apply all the seven laws of success. So he tells us here in Ecclesiastes, the third chapter, starting with verse 11, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. But then in uh, verse 12, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. You can rejoice in the fruits, the rewards of your labor. You just cannot make a God out of it or an obsession out of it and have a wrong priority over it. I, uh, you know, in times past, I don't have to do it so much now, but particularly when I was doing uh, graduate school work, and it was more of a drudgery, and I had to discipline myself to write this paper or that paper. And I would say, okay, after I finish writing this paper, I'm going to reward myself. And I still follow that. I still reward myself from time to time. But uh, it is a motivator. And God says it's his gift for you to enjoy the rewards of your work. And I, I have to be careful because sometimes I look at something I've done and I keep focusing on it. Well, oh, that's good. That's good. I have to be careful 
not to overjoy in the works of my hands and give God the credit, of course, for anything that is good. Verse uh, 31, uh, 21, sorry. He goes on to say, Who knows the spirit of the sons of men, which goes upward, and the spirit of the animal, which goes down to the earth? So I perceive that nothing is better than a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his heritage. If you're not producing anything, then you need to ask God to help you to learn some skills, uh, to be productive. All of us can smile. All of us can write letters. All of us can make a phone call to encourage someone who's ill or sick and pray for them. So we can all do something good, for that is his heritage, for who can bring him to see what will happen after him. So number eight, rejoice in the achievements and successes God gives you. And, of course, that means applying the seven laws of success. And I think I've referred you to Dr. Meredith's sermon, Live the Abundant Life, which is sermon number 452. So let's apply the seven laws of success and be on our way to express joy in God's way of life and in the successes and achievements he gives us. Now, I gave all, th- all those eight to, to you in a sermon uh, last time, a month or so ago, on the joy of salvation. Now, the next four are new to you, uh, but I hope those eight have been helpful to you as well. Number nine. Rejoice in God's feast. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 12. We're looking forward to the Feast of Tabernacles, and I hope you're preparing and your children are preparing for the Feast of Tabernacles, putting aside uh, the festival tithe, also putting aside something for the Holy Day offerings. Deuteronomy, the 12th chapter, and verse 7. He talks about uh, taking your offerings to the feast, and there you shall eat before the eternal your God, and you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your households, in which the eternal your God has blessed you. You shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. But if you've faithfully saved your, your tithes and offerings, then you will rejoice. Verse 12 of Deuteronomy 12. Uh, and you shall rejoice before the eternal your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and your female servants, the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. And then verse 18, he again repeats it. But you must eat them before the eternal your God in the place, that is your festival tithe, which the eternal your God chooses, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, and the Levite who is in your gates, and you shall rejoice before the eternal your God in all to which you put your hands. So number nine is to rejoice in God's feasts. Mr. Meredith wrote uh, as an introduction to the festival planner a few years ago how we can rejoice at the feast without going concern. Dr. Meredith writes, quote, we as first fruits have been given a foretaste of blessings that most of mankind cannot now begin to imagine. So we must not selfishly hoard our blessings and turn inward. As followers of Christ, we must radiate Philadelphia love as we trumpet the Ezekiel warning and feed those whom our Savior may call as first fruits in the eleventh hour before his return, Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. 
He concludes, this outflowing concern should be on all of our minds as we keep the feast. So number nine is rejoice in God's feasts. Number ten is again difficult. Rejoice when you're persecuted. Turn to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Number ten, rejoice when you're persecuted. Now, it has to be, of course, for the right reasons, not because you bring it on yourself because of foolishness. But Matthew 5 and verse 11. Matthew 5 and verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Can you be exceedingly glad when you're persecuted? Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. It's going to come from heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets which were before you. Let's turn to James 1, and you're familiar with that one, how we handle trials and tests. And again, James is not saying here to rejoice. He's saying to count it joy. Though Christ says when you're persecuted, there are different kinds of trials in which you do not rejoice, but you count it joy. James 1 and verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now let me just ask you, and I ask you to raise your hands. How many of you have actually tried this, done this, thought of this scripture when you were facing a trial and you thought in your minds, hmm, God tells me to count it joy. How many of you have actually done that? Okay, it looks like about uh, 27.4% of you have done that. The the other uh, other... 72.6% need to really work on counting it joy. No, these these admonitions, these principles in the Bible, brethren, are for us to practice. And it's not easy when when you're stressed and when you're facing a trial. But you have to tell yourself, as I do, maintain a positive and tranquil mind. You have to tell yourself, count it all joy. Why? You need to understand why you count it joy. Why do you count it joy? Well, let's read on. Knowing this, that the testing of your faith produces patience or endurance or perseverance, as the margin has it. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. The reason you can count it joy is because you know that the result of your test and your trial is going to be to your benefit that you will grow in patience, you will grow in faith, you will see God's hand in the situation as you pray for His deliverance and His guidance in your trial. So count it joy. It takes faith to do that. We heard a sermon last week about faith and the place of safety. You know, when difficult challenges meet us, it's not easy. But you still have to make that faith choice, make that mental effort to tell God, I've got to count this joy. Help me to understand what is going to be the result of it. It's going to be that I will grow in patience, in perseverance, and endurance, and I will mature through this, this trial. You know, you have a flat tire in the middle of nowhere, 
and uh, it just happened to me and it happened to us. We got I think stuck in a um, in the mud one time. I, I, that was years ago on a baptizing tour. I guess my wife and I were were uh, dark at night and our car got stuck. Well, I'll, what are you going to do? Count it joy. You know, you're in the middle of nowhere. Thankfully, we saw a light on a on a house, and we walked up the dirt driveway to a farmhouse, and the farmer was kind enough to get his tractor and pull us out of the mud. So God did uh, deliver us from that particular trial. Count it joy. It may be difficult, but this is a reason to rejoice. Rejoice when you're persecuted. Rejoice when you are going through trials, or at least count it joy. Number 10, rejoice when you're persecuted. Number 11, delight in being merciful. Let's turn to Micah, the seventh chapter. Delight in being merciful. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Oda, oh, oh, Jonah, Micah. Right. Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. There we go. Micah 7, and uh, we'll start in verse 16. So Now, again, some of us are afraid of our enemies. What do you do? Well, you pray for them, it says in Matthew 5, 44. And here in Micah 7, we see God's power on your behalf if you're troubled. Micah 7, starting with verse 16. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall put their hand over their mouth. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. They shall crawl from their holes like snakes in the earth. They shall be afraid of the eternal our God and shall fear because of you. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever. Note this, the end of verse 18, but he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and he will subdue our iniquities. God delights in mercy, and so should we. We delight in the mercy He shows us. And he, Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So we rejoice in God's mercy, and we should delight in showing mercy to others. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Number 12 is rejoice in giving and in serving. Let's turn to Philippians the second chapter, Philippians, the second chapter. <clears throat> God's will is that you give to others and you share your life. As it says in Acts 20.35 in the Moffat translation, it is happier to give than to get. Philippians 2 and verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same mind, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. We've had to face selfish ambition among certain individuals in God's church who were left the church because they were not appointed pastor of a church. And there was no idea that such a one had that kind of selfish ambition. God is the one who places the members in the body as it pleases Him. You don't want to have any selfish ambition. You want to make sure that you are willing to serve, as we know through the 
ceremony of the washing of feet during the days of unleavened bread, during the Passover service. Christ humbled himself to wash his disciples' feet. If you have a tinge of selfish ambition, recognize it and root it out. And fast and humble yourself and realize, look, if, if my job is to wash feet, you know, if that's what Christ wants me to do, I'll do that. We all do that at the Passover. But he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just remembered one individual said, uh, this lady came up to this one minister and said, Dr. So-and-so, you make, me, you make me feel so inferior. And he says, Madam, you are. <laughs> I, thought, oh, I hope he repented of that statement. <clears throat> uh, as we, we should, no one is inferior. We're all uh, of the body of Christ. We're all members of that body. And we have to serve one another with humbleness of mind. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests or the needs of others. We're concerned for one another. And thankfully here in the local congregation, I believe we have a great deal of concern one for another. And we pray for one another. First Corinthians, the 16th chapter, turn over there. First Corinthians 16. Yes, it is happier to give than to get. We, we rejoice in giving and in serving. Here was a family that was devoted to serving. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 14. Let all that you do be done with love. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. We talked about addiction before. The King James Version has, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. The New King James has devoted to the ministry of the saints. And we have several people in this congregation who are devoted to the ministry of the saints. And I hope that uh, we have more that can have that kind of serving attitude. As we devote ourselves to serving, we want to help others into the kingdom of God. And our example of how we help others into the kingdom of God is very important. We are the light of the earth. We are the salt of the earth. Dr. Meredith wrote in the Living Church News, our mission as a church, the May-June 2001. Number four of the sevenfold commission he gave was, Be examples to the church at large and to the world of Christ's way of life. You know, are we good ambassadors for Christ? Or do we, as I do from time to time, may lose my temper and I'm not a good example to the world as a, an ambassador for Christ? So we have to see what is our own, how are we living? Are we setting a right example to others so that others, if they are not called now, even because they know us in this life, in the white throne judgment, when they can come up, they can remember that you did a kindness to this person or that person. I have a family in uh, New England, and uh, we've had a couple family uh, reunions and get-togethers. And uh, I try to be loving and warm to my relatives. And I just thought one time, I don't know if my cousin Ken came up in the, in the resurrection, 
And he saw me, and he said, what's Dick doing there? You know, he's that carnal guy? What are you doing? You know, I hope that that never happens. I want to be a kind of example that he will see, oh, yeah, he was kind to me and uh, thoughtful and, and loving towards me. So that example now will pay off even in the white throne judgment uh, more than a thousand years from now. And I hope you've all read uh, Dr. Meredith's article in the current uh, Tomorrow's World magazine, the July-August 2008 issue, The Truth Almost Nobody Knows. He writes, so if the whole world is blinded, as Paul wrote, and the whole world is deceived, as the Apostle John wrote, that certainly explains why untold billions of people have never heard the true gospel. But is a just, but is a just and fair God going to leave them in the grave or burn them up in an everlasting fire? Of course not. Uh, we've gotten several very positive comments from uh, that article. I hope you've uh, read that article. I'll just read one of the comments uh, on an email uh, comment. The truth almost no one knows. I've just read this article for the second time, and this is my second time to send an email about it. It is an amazing and wonderful piece of writing, truly inspired. And Roderick Meredith is surely one of God's true servants. He is certainly shouting out, and I am glad that I am hearing what he has been moved to declare. To quote an old Irish saying, God bless the work. So we can be examples to the world. Let's rejoice in our ability as God uses us to serve and to share and to help others into the kingdom of God. So we briefly discussed 12 reasons to rejoice, but how do you express that joy? Uh, some of us are overly emotional. It's like, uh, well, there are individual differences in babies and children. And, you know, there might be a little child and you say, boo! And that little child just bursts out in tears. And, and there are others who are so stiff-necked uh, that you spank and spank and they don't even shed a tear. They're just, uh, you know, the, the, the emotional differences in children can be very extreme, can be great. But we need to be able to learn to express our emotions, to express God's joy in a special way. Some of us are not emotional. Some of us are like the logical, unemotional Spock of uh, Star Trek. You know, he just gave, you know, never expressing a smile or, or a tear or anything of that nature. But we all need to express joy. And I asked you some time ago, you know, when was the last time you shed a tear for someone else or for a circumstance? You know, we mourn, as we read in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, to mourn with those who mourn, that we can sympathize with those. Let's consider quickly five ways to express joy. Let's turn to Psalm 9, the ninth Psalm. Psalm 9, one way of five to express joy is praise God in prayer. And all you need to do is open to the Psalms and you'll find, chances are, you'll find David in one of his prayers praising God. Have you done it? Have you praised God? I will praise you, O Eternal, with my whole heart, he says in Psalm 9, verse 1. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Uh, Psalm 13, <clears throat> verse 5, over the page. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Remember, this series was started with, Are You Saved? And the joy of salvation. 
So number one is praise God in prayer. And there are many multitudes of examples here in the book of Psalms to show you how to do that. Number two is praise God in music. Let's turn to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. We've done that already. Today we sang God's mercy never fails in the congregational singing. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you have sung part of a psalm before services today? Last night, or I was singing in the shower as usual, sang a psalm in the shower uh, today. I hope you did too, or you at least in your heart. You know, when we heard the sermon last week of the primitive conditions of Petra in Jordan, uh, we may not all have uh, hymnal books. We may not all have uh, song books. So what are you going to sing? I hope that you know a psalm or two. There are others who've grown up in the church. I mean, Dr. Scott Winnale, who used to lead songs, he didn't even look at his hymnal. He just knew all the, the hymns by heart, having grown up in the church, and could lead them. Is there any hymn that you know? Do you know Onward Christian Soldiers? Do you know Oh How Love I Thy Law? Do you know any of the other uh, hymns? So that if we were together without a hymn book, could we all sing together? I told you how I was uh, in um, the uh, Hilton, the Jerusalem Hilton. Uh, Mr. Armstrong was there, and we had 45 students, and uh, Mr. Herbert Armstrong came and was speaking to us and also uh, some Israeli guests in the audience. And uh, we had just, uh, I don't think we even had one hymnal, but I was chosen to, to lead hymns. We didn't have any hymns, hymnals, but we did sing Onward Christian Soldiers and, and uh, How Good and How Pleasant and, and, uh, uh, and uh, How Love I Thy Law. I think those were the three songs we sang. So uh, hopefully you'll, you'll memorize at least one or two hymns so that when we are together without a hymn book, we can uh, sing together. But praise God in music. And, of course, some of you say, well, I can't sing. Well, you can make a joyful noise. And it says, making melody in your heart to the Lord. So even if you can't sing outwardly, you can try. I know there are those uh, here that have uh, really improved their singing over a period of years. Number two, praise God in music. Number three, serve with a cheerful attitude. Oh, this is important. There are those who are reluctant servants. They're just not willing. I gave a sermon years ago on, Are You a Willing Servant? Let's turn to Psalm 100. Of course, I probably every two or three nights a week in bed when I can't go to sleep, I'll go through some of these psalms, and I'll probably Psalm 100 will be one of those that I recite in my head trying to go to sleep. Psalm 100, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Just think of all the nations around the world. Serve the Lord how? 
with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. And again, um, are we willing? Do your children, when you say, well, Johnny, uh, go ahead and uh, uh, take out the garbage. And Johnny says, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Uh, serve with gladness. And Johnny says, oh, yes, Mom. Oh, I'll be happy to do that. Oh, I just thank you for the opportunity, you know, to take out the garbage. Are you going to serve with cheerfulness? You serve with gladness? There's a very uh, sobering one here in Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter. Deuteronomy 28, and uh, I think this was quoted in a recent sermon. Deuteronomy 28, and let's start with uh, uh, verse uh, 46, talking about the uh, strangers are going to lend to you, and all these curses are going to be upon you because you didn't keep God's commandments and statutes. Verse 46 of Deuteronomy 28 and they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever because you did not serve the eternal your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies whom the eternal will send against you in hunger and thirst, nakedness and in need of everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Yes, because you haven't kept the statutes, the commandments, and the laws, but also because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and with gladness of heart. Thank God that you're alive. Thank God that you can walk. Thank God that you can talk. Thank God that you can serve in whatever way God gives you that opportunity. So number three is serve God with a cheerful attitude. Serve God with joy and gladness of heart. That's how you can express joy. You have reasons to rejoice. Express that joy by serving with a cheerful attitude. Number four is to radiate God's nature, to reflect Jesus Christ. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, 2 Corinthians 3. And this is a, uh, an unusual verse because the context is Moses coming down from um, the mountain and his face is uh, radiating and he had to put a, a veil over his face uh, when he talked to the people. He would take it off when he went and talked with God. But here this brilliance was just radiating from Moses' face. In 2 Corinthians 3, <clears throat> then in uh, verse 11, Oh, is that what I want? Yeah. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Uh, therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And the old the Jews could understand the Old Testament once that veil was taken away to see that those prophecies related to the Messiah. And now they could understand it. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We rejoice in our freedom from practicing sin. We have liberty. But notice verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, in other words, we can understand the truth. The veil is not on our hearts either. 
beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. It's a very deep verse. We are in the process of being conformed to the very image of Christ, as it tells us in Romans 8, verse 29. Be conformed to the very nature and the mind of Christ. Are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So we are to reflect. When we look in a mirror, we should see metaphorically Christ. We should see the nature of Christ. We should radiate the fruits of God's Spirit from us. The NIV states it this way, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, do we reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So we then are being transformed into the image of Christ, and we need to radiate the fruits of God's Spirit. Let's take a look at John 7, the seventh chapter, which we read the last great day of the feast, but it's a principle that applies year-round. If we are to be the lights of the world, the salt of the earth, and ambassadors for Christ, John 7 and verse 37. On that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So the fruits of God's Spirit need to be evident in our lives. Love, joy, peace, when they see us. And that takes a lifetime. And we know that we have weaknesses. But I've asked my wife dozens of times in, in your presence, you know, honey, have I grown in patience? I won't ask her this time. And she'll say yes. <laughs> so I've grown, grown in patience over the years. You grow in love, you grow in peace, you grow in patience. And it takes a lifetime to do that. But when people see you, we need to know that, well, has anyone ever told you, oh, you're just the same? You know, they mean that complimentary, but I take it, well, no, I haven't changed. You're the same old carnal person you were 10 years ago. You haven't grown in maturity or patience. But every once in a while, someone will say, well, no, you've changed. You know what they mean by that? is that you've changed for the good. And I hope that uh, we can all tell one another that, that you have grown, you've matured, you are now radiating more of God's fruits, you're producing the fruits of God's Spirit, of love, joy, and peace. And you do that in loving your neighbors, you do that in loving your enemies and praying for your enemies. You do that in fulfilling God's will and fulfilling His work. And they see in your face, like Moses was radiating, and it We've talked about smiles before, but do you know the value of a smile? Do you ever smile? I was trying to teach one ambassador student years ago to smile, and uh, he, 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 do, he wouldn't do it. And he said, well, I'm smiling on the inside. <laughs> oh, well, I can't see your insides. You know, try to learn to smile. Some of our behaviors we have to learn. There's... Uh, a Chinese proverb that says, smile and feel ten years younger, worry and get gray hair. So 
We have to smile when we can. Dale Carnegie, in his book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, uh, mentions, uh, gives this example, quote, At a dinner party in New York, one of the guests, a woman who had inherited money, was eager to make a pleasing impression on everyone. She had squandered a modest fortune on sables, diamonds, and pearls, but she hadn't done anything whatever about her face. It radiated sourness and selfishness. She didn't realize what everyone knows, namely that the expression one wears on one's face is far more important than the clothes one wears on one's back. And he quotes uh, from a psychologist at the University of Michigan who said, people who smile tend to manage, teach, and sell more effectively and to raise happier children. There's far more information in a smile than a frown. So we need to ask ourselves, do we reflect God's nature? Do we radiate God's nature? Uh, Dr. Meredith, uh, in the Living Church News, March, April 2006, in his article, How Does God View You?, said, talking about loving one another, he says, in this, he shows that a definite sign radiates from those of us in God's church through the love we show one another. By our Christ-like love, all will know that you are my disciples. End of quote. So a fourth way to express joy is to reflect God's nature, radiate the fruits of the Spirit, and live each day with a positive, cheerful attitude. Number five is to thank God continually. We already read Ephesians 5, verse 20, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for uh, will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In a uh, Reader's Digest article, A Simple Truth About Happiness, Dennis Prager wrote the following, quote, this is how to be a happy person. The first secret is gratitude. All happy people are grateful. Ungrateful people cannot be happy. And then in uh, a book called How We Choose to Be Happy by Rick Foster and Greg Hicks, they wrote, happy people actively appreciate their lives and express gratitude and thanks to the people around them. So how do you express joy? You express joy by being thankful continually. And what do you thank God for? You know, I pray every day for God's protection, that God will set his angels about us, that here at the building and elsewhere, and he tells us in Hebrews 1, verse 14, that angels are ministering spirits to those who are heirs of salvation. And God has probably protected you with his angels in times that you don't even know have occurred. Do you, do you thank God for his angels? Years ago, uh, April 9th, 1999, I wrote a brief prayer of thanks. And I was suggesting to my wife, she was telling some things about uh, being thankful. I said, no, you need to write those down in a diary. There are many people who do. But this was a brief poem I wrote, a brief prayer of thanks. Thank you for the trees and the breeze. Thank you for the wind and the mind. Thank you for your mercy and for being so kind. Thank you for life and victory over strife. Thank you for Christ who is our life.
and for promises from above. We look forward to eternity with you in glorious love. I would encourage you to write your own poem of thanksgiving. Some of us say, well, I can't be thankful, I can't be happy, I'm, I'm poor, or as the Apostle Paul, you know, in prison. But the Apostle Paul said, let's turn there, Philippians, the fourth chapter, that whatever state he found himself, that he could appreciate it. He had a positive attitude, even in prison. We already saw that he exhorted others to rejoice even when he had chains on his legs. Philippians, the fourth chapter, verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can you rejoice if you're in prison? Can you rejoice if you are disabled, as thousands of veterans are? This uh, I've read to you from this book before, Chicken Soup for the Unsinkable Soul. And this is about uh, some handicapped veterans. There's a wonderful story about Jimmy Durante, one of the great entertainers of a few generations ago. He was asked to be a part of a show for World War II veterans. He told them his schedule was very busy and he could afford only a few minutes if they wouldn't mind his doing one short monologue and immediately leaving for his next appointment, he would come. Of course, the show's director agreed happily. But when Jimmy got on stage, something interesting happened. He went through the short monologue and then stayed. The applause grew louder and louder, and he kept staying. Pretty soon, he had been on 15, 20, and then 30 minutes. Finally, he took a last bow and left the stage. Backstage, someone stopped him and said, I thought you had to go after a few minutes. What happened? Jimmy answered, I did have to go, but I can show you the reason I stayed. You can see for yourself if you'll look at the front row. In the front row were two men, each of whom had lost an arm in the war. One had lost his right arm and the other had lost his left. Together, they were able to clap, and that's exactly what they were doing loudly and cheerfully. We have plenty of reasons to rejoice, and we can express that joy in spite of our circumstances, the Apostle Paul knew how to abound. He knew how to be abased. And he knew how to praise God. So let's us rejoice and understand that God has given us a mission to turn many to righteousness, as it tells us in Daniel, the 12th chapter, in verse 3. We can look forward to the kingdom of God. We can look forward to the world ahead. And as Dr. Meredith wrote in here, we can be teachers of joy. It's on page 31. Teachers of joy. He writes, The Ten Commandments, the magnificent spiritual law, God gave Abraham and his servants, reveal a way of life that will enable all mankind to learn how to love and serve our Creator and have His divine blessing, and how to truly love our fellow human beings, thus attaining an unprecedented depth of peace and joy. God has called us to be teachers of joy. So let's look forward to the coming kingdom of God 
We've briefly discussed 12 reasons to rejoice. You can add to that list. But let's express that joy in prayers of thanksgiving, in hymns of praise, by living each day serving with a positive, cheerful, giving attitude. And let's express the joy of salvation by growing spiritually and growing in maturity and by radiating love, joy, and peace. Let's remember Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice.